Our second reading today is from the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 10 through 17, and it can be found on page 65 of the New Testament portion of your pew Bible. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all they had done. Then, taking them along, he slipped quietly into a city called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out about it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed to be cured. The day was drawing to a close, and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside to lodge and get provisions, for we are here in a deserted place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And all ate and were filled, and what was left over was gathered up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of God given for the people of God. Please pray with me. Dearest one, wherever it is that you find us sitting when we receive this word, settle our busy minds, open our hearts so that each one of us may hear what it is you have to say to us. May my words be your words. Amen. So our family has a very sacred place out on Lake Winnipesaukee in New Hampshire. My mother grew up in New Hampshire a few hours west of the lake, as our kids call it. And as a small child, I vacationed at a lake nearer to her home. But years later, when my children were small, my cousin bought a place on the Big Lake, as it's affectionately known in that state. And the tradition of vacationing on the lake was renewed. Every year for over 20 years, I would load my kids in the car and my folks and I would head for the two-day drive that would take us to our own version of heaven. And even though he was a Bostonian, it became my father's favorite place in the world. As life changed, kids grew up, new careers meant less vacations, and our treks to the lake became less frequent. Eventually, my dear father passed away, but you can believe that the lake played a starring role in many of the eulogies at his funeral. As my mother aged, we wanted to get her back there one last time. And so in 2014, we loaded up my father's old Buick with some of the kids and grandkids. Scott and I boarded a plane with my mother, and we all met back up at the lake. And we took with us our favorite picture of my dad eating his favorite food, lobster, at his favorite place. And I know you won't be able to see it, but I did bring it because I thought if I'm talking about it, he needs to be here. So this is my, my dad at his favorite place. 
And one night while we were there, we hosted the infamous lobster dinner. Scott went to the store and picked out the best quarter pounders he could find. Those are lobsters, not McDonald's hamburgers. I went and got fabulous swordfish steaks for those of us that don't or can't eat lobster, and I think we threw in more than a few bottles of wine. My cousins, their kids, our kids, some grandchildren, and my mother and Scott and I all gathered around the table. We placed this photo in the center, and one of the most cherished nights of my life went into full swing. We talked and talked and talked. We laughed till we cried. We ate till we could eat no more. We poured that wine. We shared our memories. We shared our love and our joy. And it does indeed bring tears to my eyes right now to tell you all about it. It was not just dinner or a meal. It was sacrament. It was an experience of the risen Christ. It was sacred. It was an example of Pierre de Chardin's claim that joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. Indeed, God was there that night, the Holy Spirit whipping the whole thing into so much more than any of us could have ever imagined. And I think, I think that's close to what happened to those folks with Jesus in our story today, when thousands were fed with five loaves of bread and two measly fish. Those loaves and that fish became so much more than anyone there that day could have ever imagined. So today we do begin a series that will look at some of the meal stories in the Gospel of Luke. And while Luke's Gospel tells us at least 19 meal stories, we will only have time for five of them. If you haven't heard the joke, it is that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is always going to a meal, at a meal, or coming on his way home from a meal. But there's more to that joke than just humor. It tells us that meals are pretty important in this gospel, and that tells us there are probably some things we need to learn from these meal stories. What's going on with Jesus, with the hosts, with the guests, with the circumstances, that has something to say to us. In these five weeks, I'd like us to be reflecting on these meal stories as metaphors for the church. So each week we're going to be asking, what does this meal story have to tell us about the church? What do we learn from this meal story about how to be the church in this time and place? What is the message of these meal stories at Western Springs? And the meal we begin with is one that most everyone has heard, the fishes and the loaves. Now, it's significant to note that this is the only miracle story, aside from the resurrection, that appears in all four Gospels. And that tells me we need to pay attention. And not only do all of the writers tell this story, they tell it with almost the exact same details, and that's significant. If after worship today we asked four of you to tell us what happened in here this morning, I bet we'd get four different versions of what went on. One person might lift up the hymns we sang, what order they came in, how they fit the theme of the worship. Another might mention the scriptures but focus more on the psalm because that's what really impacted them today. Someone else might mention how warm or cold the room felt, how the sound system performed, or even what the colors were up on the chancel. 
And maybe our fourth observer would actually speak about the sermon and what they heard and what they would take home with them. That's not surprising, right? But if we asked all four of those folks and they all told us the same thing that happened in here and their versions were pretty much alike, that would tell us we needed to pay attention. So let's take a closer look at what we heard this morning. The disciples have returned. From where? And they have told Jesus all they had done. Well, what have they been up to? This turns out to be a rather important piece of information because immediately prior to this scene, Jesus has sent the disciples off, giving them all power and authority to tell, preach of the kingdom of God and to heal the sick and drive out all demons. And guess what? They did just that. They set out on their own, going from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Wow. So now they're back, and they're sharing all their experiences and adventures as the group heads into Bethsaida, which just happens to be the hometown of Peter, Andrew, and Philip. Of course, it's not a secret then that they're arriving and the crowds follow, and we're told that Jesus welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who needed to be cured. The day goes on and on, and eventually the twelve see the sun starting to wane in the sky, and with concern for the people, they suggest that Jesus call it a day. You know, we preachers are always too long-winded. And they say to him, let everyone go home and find some decent dinner and a place to sleep. And Jesus directs them to feed the people. You give them something to eat. But practicality gets the better of them, and they observe that no one has scheduled a food truck to arrive anytime soon. They seem to have already forgotten what they were capable of doing just last week, that they were the ones providing the healing and the preaching. Jesus had given them all power and authority. Did they think it was a temporary gift? Did they think they couldn't use those gifts if Jesus was present? Or did they simply not make the connection that in that moment they couldn't think outside the proverbial box, the people need food and we don't have any food, never mind that we could heal them if they were sick, ignore the fact that we were able to slay the demons, we don't have any food for these folks. I love this. Jesus doesn't scold them. He doesn't push them. He seems to understand that for some reason yesterday is not connecting with today for them. So he steps in. He takes the fishes and the loaves. He gives thanks. He blesses it, breaks it. And then he gives it to the 12 to distribute. And they move through the crowds with bottomless baskets filled with bread and fish. And everyone ate. And everyone was filled. And there were leftovers. And I'm thinking, there was loads of laughter as the baskets never ran empty. Folks joked and jostled with each other in amazement. And wonder took over the women who usually had to prepare the meals. And stories were shared and memories were made, memories that would never fade, memories that children would tell their grandchildren in their old age. It was unbelievable. There was more than enough for everyone, thousands of us. I'd never seen anything like it. It was a meal to remember, all right. It was not just dinner or fish and bread on a hill. It was a sacrament 
It was sacred. It was an experience of abundance. It was a Holy Spirit evening, kind of like my lobster fest in New Hampshire. When I reflect on this meal, I find a story of compassion, of radical hospitality, of discipleship, and yes, of abundance, abundance that we sometimes have a hard time grasping. Jesus' compassion for the crowds and for the disciples in their seeming fit of amnesia is touching and personal. It speaks to basic human needs. And it's a model for us as the church. How are we aware of the needs of those around us, whether we know them or not? How do we address the needs that we see? And those of us who have so much more than the basic requirements for living, how can we help ourselves understand and recognize needs that we may have never experienced ourselves? Well, I see a congregation here that's doing a pretty good job of being attuned to others, a food pantry support, refugee family sponsorships, a sister congregation in Cuba, and the list is longer. And all of these mission efforts are an extension of this meal story, helping to provide the world where we see needs that we can assist with. And that then brings me to the discipleship aspect of this story. As I mentioned, right before this meal, Jesus had sent the disciples out to do his ministry on their own. In this story, he asks them to tend to the needs of the people when they first tell him dinner time is approaching. You give them something to eat. You. And that tells me that Jesus invites us into the ministry of hospitality with him. We are called to serve God's people in the ways that Jesus would. And when the disciples balk, well, he does step in, but then he calls them back into service to distribute this endless meal. In other words, it's a team effort. Jesus blesses and breaks the bread. The 12 share it with the crowd. It is not a one-man show, and it never is. The situation is the same for us. We are invited into ministry with the risen Christ. And that is the power, the risen Christ's power, that allows us to accomplish more than we could ever imagine on our own. The Holy Spirit shows up and whips our actions into more than we could do by ourselves, turns an ordinary New England lobster dinner into an extraordinary experience of family, love, and joy into sacrament. Discipleship is an invitation to action and involvement. It's not enough to know about Jesus or about God. We must act with Jesus, with God, in the works of the kingdom. And this meal story tells us life is not about following, but participating. Participating with the Holy Spirit in God's dreams for the world. This story for me is Jesus saying, I need you. Let's do the work together. Now, the disciples were a little stuck in their approach to the problem of the day. They had been thinking linearly, bound by convention, even after what they had experienced themselves a few days before. But Jesus undoes their stuck thinking by having them participate in this miraculous meal. And that helps them remember all that they can do 
with God. Luke tells us earlier, much earlier in his gospel, all things are possible with God. So we would ask ourselves, where are we stuck? What experiences of abundance, joy, refreshment, and celebration have we forgotten from our history? What can remembering those joyous occasions of the Holy Spirit's movements teach us about trusting in God's abundant provision now and in the future? As we look towards Western Springs' future, these are the stories we want to lift up, not to replicate what we did, but to remind ourselves that the risen Christ is always with us, always inviting us into the ministry of the world, always there to assist us and buoy us through any rough waters. This is the model of the church, Christ working through the disciples, and that's us, folks. So that takes us back to those questions that we'll ask every week. What does this meal story have to tell us about how to be the church? And this week I'll add, where is God saying to Western Springs, you give them something? Answering these questions is going to help us as a congregation create the vision that we need in order to seek your next installed pastor. So what happened to those folks at this miraculous meal out in the plains? What happened to those of us at the dinner table in New Hampshire? Well, community, celebration, refreshment were poured over all. Cherished memories were made that informed hearts forever. Jesus was clearly present at both of those meals. Miracles of abundance are not relegated to the stories of the Bible. But we will not see them we will not participate in them unless we believe miracles are indeed possible. That dinner in New Hampshire was miraculous. I cherish it. I will never forget it. I can conjure that evening in my memory in an instant. I can hear the laughter. I can see the joy on all the faces. It is as real for me today as it was all those years ago. That's a miracle when hearts are opened to the presence of the risen Christ in ways that transform us, in ways that feed us. So now, friends, Christ invites us to spread the table, share a meal with each other, with the world outside our walls, and to trust in that abundance of his. When we do that, we can be sure that we will be blessed with the presence of the Spirit who can take whatever we do and whip it into so much more than we could imagine. So, let's make some meals to remember this year. Amen. <laughs>